0: We are live from the Empire of Lies and just outside the Matrix. It's time once again for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan which special guest host Jason Goodman today. This is The Backstory. Hey, Jason, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, Lee. How are you?
0: I'm okay. That's better uh, than bad. We put together a great show, and you helped put together, I've got to say, because I I know you do a show every week with Charles Ortel, and he's our guest in the first hour, that's correct?
1: Yes, that's going
0: to be great. Yes, and what's Charles been talking about lately?
1: Charles is laser beam focused on the Clinton Foundation for as long as I've known him. And the developments with the Durham investigation have really piqued his interest. I think he's got some insights to share with us that are gonna go beyond what people hear in the mainstream news, just because the depth of Charles's knowledge, not only of the overall situation, but with each each of these individual players have done kind of throughout their careers. It's it's amazing. The amount of information that he is privy to
0: yes absolutely charles says and uh, i know he's lazy being focused like you say and so i thought i'd ask you what because if charles i'll put it like this if you this is a good rule in life if you go to a restaurant and they're known for something for instance they're known for chicken and waffles yes don't don't go and order the hamburger. Right. You see why? Yeah, because Yeah,
1: it's the specialty.
0: Because they're known for it, so believe it. And if yeah. you don't want that, that's fine. Then go someplace known for the hamburgers. Exactly. And that's fine. But yeah. with Charles, he's not just he has a knowledge of general stuff, but I know he's very focused and very knowledgeable specifically. About certain areas yeah and I appreciate that because I tend to be the same way so if I have Charles or on I want to take advantage of that and not order a hamburger
1: (laughs) exactly well you know people who aren't familiar with Charles should know that he spent a lot of years in the high finance world during mergers and acquisitions of you know multi-billion dollar companies Charles was the guy behind the revelations of General Electric. He called it a fraud from you know way back when people thought he was crazy for saying that. And uh, I can't do his analysis justice, but Charles has spoken to me about the ways in which General Electric played into the subprime Uh, financial crash and issues with AIG and all kinds of things going on there. So again, Charles is a unique genius and uh, his knowledge of finance informs all the research that he's done into the Clinton Foundation. And he's also got insights into this historic, massive financial deal that's going on between Elon Musk and Twitter and he's got a lot of unique insights into the reactions of the market. I was going to ask
0: you about Twitter, Yeah. whether you thought he would have some insight into that.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, the, Charles and I go back and forth on the social and political aspects of what Elon Musk intends to do with Twitter. And of course, uh, there's elements we agree on, there's elements we disagree on. I can't speak to anything about the financial aspects of it, and that is another area where Charles's strengths are really important because Twitter is down right now. Tesla is down right now. I don't know what that means. I'm just looking at the stock market and telling you that.
0: It means probably that Twitter is a good buy. Because I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> whenever, because whenever stocks go down, you know, when things are There's a lot of fake news about Twitter. Yeah. And there's a lot of people freaking out for no reason over that. So that is often a good time to buy. Mark Frost, who's our Friday guest host often, he bought rubles, right? The Russian currency when when the war started because the U.S. said it was going to destroy the ruble. Sure enough. The rules trading at 75 to the dollar wow and he cashed in Mm.
1: well let me ask you a question lee just going back to twitter for a second we've got this issue where a lot of people are anticipating that elon musk is going to personally bring trump back to twitter but you see i think there's a larger problem
0: Shane, hang on one sec jason yeah let's get to the sure announce our other guests and to the boom Ted Rall is our second hour guest. Love Ted. And Ted Rall knows a lot and can draw cartoons of it. Yeah. And also he's an author cartoonist, and Bavivon. And he'll be talking about the election in France, which was won by Emmanuel Macron over the weekend. Yeah. And Jason, I was just wondering, do you offhand know the name of this show? The Backstory. It's a miracle every time that <laughs> happens. But but what we we're saying, because I want to talk about, I think the Elon Musk thing is a big thing. and Absolutely. Uh, a huge deal, Yeah, potentially historically. Mm-hmm. And I've got some thoughts on that. But uh, some thoughts in general about the Elon Musk, not hate. I'm not talking about the hate. I'll be clear. Do you know who's not sh- unsure what Elon Musk has in store?
1: Elon Musk.
0: His hate. His his haters. Oh yeah. The the people freaking out who say they're going to quit Twitter. They know what Elon Musk wants. They think for sure he is going to restore free speech, and it terrifies them. Right now, who's who's less sure about that? Are the people who I think should be on my side, should be going, guy, gee, the guy's saying he's going to restore free speech. They're more skeptical. Do you well, see who, what I'm saying? Do you agree?
1: Who, who Who are they, though, the people that should be on his side but aren't, in your view?
0: Okay, let me let me make an uh, argument here. Sure. And this is a, a general topic. I think one of the bad things that Donald Trump did mm-hmm was he made cynical a lot of Trump supporters. In other Mm. words, people, there was such a cult of personality around Donald Trump that when he got in and didn't succeed in a number of things and didn't even try, he was not the messiah that the cult of personality around Donald Trump made him out to be. Does that make sense?
1: You mean like when he right away said, eh, I'm not going to do anything about Hillary Clinton. She's a nice person.
0: Yeah, for instance. Now, there are some Trump failures that were he was fought tooth and nail by the his own party. Hmm. On immigration, in his own party, they didn't want to reform immigration. They didn't want to build a wall. And when we look at the numbers now, As to what what we're spending on Ukraine, it's a it's a joke. The the wall was not that much. But some of his failures were his. They were things like you say, like the Hillary thing. Either he gave up or he just didn't follow through. For instance, not pardoning Assange, he could have done that. Yeah. And he chose not to. Or appointing Mike Pompeo. Or having Jared Kushner as yeah. a key advisor. Terrible. Those things, I think, stunned some people into cynicism. Mm-hmm. They were – they they banked on Trump, and they feel let down by Donald Trump. And now they don't believe anybody. It's like someone who gets a b- bad relationship, and they assume everyone they meet right. is the person – they were in the bad relationship with. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, you get jaded.
0: Right. That's right. I think jaded is a word I would use. Yeah. They're jaded, and they're jaded about uh, even some writers who I like. Like, I like a writer, Caitlin Johnstone. Mm-hmm. She's a very good writer, she's leftist, but. When I see people act jaded about Tulsi Gabbard, who has not done anything, but they're talk about their suspicions. When I see people jaded about there's a time to be jaded, it's when Elon Musk starts doing stuff that's bad or right. starts n- not doing stuff that he should be doing. Yeah. That's the time to become jaded. But they're going into it pre-jaded. Yeah. They're already saying you know what I mean? They're yeah. already saying, Well, I don't trust the guy. Yeah. And he's given them no reason not to trust him. And I actually think that Donald Trump's part of it. But but anyway, that's my take, Jason.
1: Well, I I mean, Lee, listen, you think back to even like high school days, right? The popular kid, there's people who are pissed off that he or she is popular and they're not. And There's always somebody to throw tomatoes at whatever. And, you know, on CrowdSource the Truth, when I talk about Elon Musk, there's a lot of people who are very vocal. They say, oh, you know, he's working with DARPA and he's launching spy satellites and his father owned a ruby mine and this and that. And I mean, first of all, the claims about his father, Musk has addressed, and what I've heard on the internet is not true, according to Elon Musk. And I think that uh, I, I really hate this practice of people making a claim or taking an allegation and just presuming it to be true. We've gone so far away from the presumption of innocence, which is one of the most important rights that we have here in the United States, along with the freedom of speech, I'm really stunned by the number of people who consider themselves American and enjoy this country, but do not respect the right for somebody to be innocent until proven guilty, not innocent until accused of anything. And so uh, I have begun to investigate some of these claims that people have made about Elon Musk And I I don't think that most of them uh, are, are really true. And the ones that he's addressed, he has said are not true. The guy has stated he's going to bring back the First Amendment and he's going to open source the algorithm. I think there's another thing going on here, Lee, that perhaps goes beyond the reprehensible people who do not respect the First Amendment, and that is my belief that there are more sinister things going on at Twitter that when a new owner digs into the history and the algorithm, I think we might even find illegal activity has gone on at Twitter.
0: Now, what specifically do you mean? Well, Barack
1: Obama first created a Twitter account less than one year after Jack Dorsey invented Twitter. Two years before Elon Musk, years before Bill Gates, famous technologists, which Barack Obama is not. And when you're in Washington, D.C., and you're a lawyer in your late 30s or early 40s, and you're a senator, I don't think you're focused on the latest trends on the internet. Now, the New York Times does say that that account was created for him by an unnamed aide. I'm very curious to find out who that is, because what backstory view uh, listeners may not know is that the current president and CEO of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, which awards Emmys, is a guy who used to be an executive at Twitter for six years, from 2010 to 2016. Adam Sharp was the head of government elections and politics. And he left abruptly in December of 2016, very shortly after Donald Trump won the election. And I allegedly that Adam Sharp left Twitter to become a clandestine operative in the Donald Trump resistance and that when he filed a complaint with YouTube to shut down the crowdsource, the truth, Jason Goodman YouTube channel, I think he did that for the ulterior purpose of disabling a prominent conservative social media influencer because they were pulling out all the stops to ensure a Joe Biden win. And I have alleged this in a lawsuit against him. And I think there are people at Twitter who are very nervous about facts and evidence coming out.
0: You no, know, I'll put it like this. There's a parallel here with Ukraine. And I've said this before. If somehow, some way, Ukraine would win this, and the Biden administration were to get their way, Right. Mm There is no chance that more negative information about Hunter Biden is going to come out of Ukraine. Correct. People need to realize that part of the reason the Ukraine war matters so much is that they're hiding a a lot. And like you're saying. About Twitter. Right. uh, uh, The danger. I agree. And they're hiding. They're hiding things.
1: I absolutely agree Lee and here's another important thing. Elon Musk, whether people like him or not, whether people believe that he was the founder of Tesla or not, whatever people say about him, it's undeniable that he's a remarkably intelligent guy in a lot of fields, finance, technology, physics, he he's he's a genius I think it seems. And, um, see, I don't think he's buying Twitter because he thinks this is, you know, the greatest new thing that he's going to make a huge return on. I think he has a much more important purpose for it. And I can't imagine what it's like to have 200 billion or even a billion. I mean, that's an amount of money that enables you to do things that regular people can't do. I mean, I I gotta worry about what's on sale when I go to the supermarket and stuff like that. So I, I think he has a, a bigger goal in mind, and I think it is a noble goal. I hope, it is, and um, we're just we're gonna we're gonna have to see what happens. I think he had him yeah, in checkmate well, no. when he got it. You know.
0: Yes, and and I also think here's the thing: this acquisition, he did not need anybody's approval. He did not need Twitter users, right, on his side. To ask them or bo- whatever. Right. And so if he is lying, it's for no purpose. If he's well, lying. Then, it'll blow and- up
1: in his face if he's lying. If he doesn't deliver free speech, here, here's what will happen if he's lying. And this why it doesn't right. play out logically to say, oh, it's a trick. If he's lying, he's going to lose $44 billion because everybody who's behind him right now is going to say, hey, wait a minute, he tricked us all the leftists will have left and all the supporters of free speech will then become disappointed and leave. And here's the real thing. I don't think that this was a negotiation like, you know, you're selling your car. You want a thousand. I say 800. We meet at 900. I think Elon Musk knows this earnings call on Thursday is going to be a bloodbath for Twitter and the stock would have dumped if he didn't get involved. And when he made this offer, I think he realized that if they didn't take it, they would be facing like bankruptcy level lawsuits from investors who would claim that they failed in their fiduciary responsibilities to the investors because they would have known the abysmal financial performance of the company. And to turn down the offer would mean that they had to be doing it for some ulterior motive. So I think they realized yesterday That they had no choice but to release this to Elon Musk because if they didn't sell it to him, his plan B, I suspect, would be to destroy it.
0: Well, I think he he stated what his purpose is. Yeah. He's pro free speech, and he thinks it's a good platform for that. Yeah. And uh, I have no reason. I have no so far no reason to believe otherwise. That doesn't mean that I have reason to believe that everything he says is true or that he's infallible. Right. Just I have literally no reason to believe otherwise. And not only that there's
1: no reason to believe otherwise, I know the way you think and the way you operate. And you and I share this. It's we follow the logic. And what he is saying comports with logic. It would be illogical if what he is saying and doing are a deception because it will blow up in his face right away. It's kind of the same as Putin. People say, oh, you're listening to Putin's lies. First of all, it's illogical to state that these are lies. I'm not believing Putin. I'm looking at what he's saying. I'm looking at the circumstance. I'm looking at the evidence that's available. And how is
0: how is acting right? Yes, and it all
1: lines up where I look at Joe Biden. It doesn't line up.
0: Well, you know, you raise a good point. Because the, the, someone I had a great interview with a reporter yesterday who's been in Mariupol and talked to people. And you, people say, how do you know that's true? And the way you – one way you know it is everything else it comports with. The, in other words, I'm not just not taking what one person says who it seems I see on video or it's her word that when she talks to civilians, this is what they said. It's not her word. She says it, and, and what I hear from civilians – in the Patrick Lancaster videos. Right. Is the same thing. And what mm-hmm. I hear the Ukrainians say, the Ukrainians have said, we're going to take traitors out. Right. And They've posted their own
1: videos that are showing them violating the Geneva Convention. And John Mark Dugan has also been to Mariupol, separately spoken to people who say the same things.
0: And and, and on Buka, for instance— It came right after the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian military has done something I have not seen the Russian military do. What's that? I have seen no videos from Russian soldiers showing them torturing Ukrainians. Absolutely. Now, am I saying that they haven't done anything like that? No, that's not the argument. But the argument is that for sure I have seen videos that the Ukrainian military has posted people in it of them torturing Russian soldiers. Yeah. And then I've seen have you seen his videos? There's a bunch of them where they've taped people to poles yeah. on the streets. Yes. They they wrap like packing tape around them and tape them to poles. hmm And cane so the, whip them. Yes. And in one video, it was a, a, a father and his child. And you can see in the tape, packed in there, is a is like a three-year-old. Yeah. Who's a traitor, I guess. You can't nice. trust those three-year-olds. The kid could suffocate so, from being
1: taped in there.
0: Yeah. It, I, I didn't see it moving, so I don't know what was oh. going on. Mm. And it was horrible. And that is not Russian dif- 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 disinformation. Right. That is Ukrainians proud. They're proud of what they've done. So I know I've seen those videos, and I've not seen a video of a Russian soldier saying, here's a Ukrainian that we're going to torture on camera, and let's shoot him on the kneecaps. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah, I mean, even so, worse, I've seen him shot in worse places.
0: No, right. But, but you see what I'm saying. It, it's you look at the totality of the information, and you go, "Where's the example of Russia doing this?" Right. And so, Bukha, I I think it's consistent with what I've seen of the MO from the Ukrainians. Yeah. Where yeah, they I mean- said out outright, we will take out traitors. So go ahead, Jason.
1: Well, I mean, the other thing is we know that Ukraine in the beginning said, hey, we're just going to give out weapons to any citizen. That's not a very organized thing to do. Gonzalo Lira testified that criminal gangs were taking these weapons and terrorizing civilians. And again, I have yet to see video or photo evidence of a Russian plane or a Russian tank or some Russian person firing something and it hitting something and saying, that is evidence that Russia did that. I've seen destroyed buildings. I've seen bombed out things. I've seen dead bodies. And I'm not denying that there's violence and a war and terrible things going on there. But when one side is saying that this is terrorists killing people and the other side is saying, no, it's the Russian army, it doesn't make sense to me that Putin would send Russian soldiers and uh, an infantry offensive into a country if the goal was to kill everybody there and destroy everything. They could do that with cruise missiles from Moscow without breaking a sweat in a day if that's what he wanted to do.
0: Yes. No, no, right. The problem isn't Rush, Russia doesn't have missiles that can reach the target. Yeah. They've got missiles that can really reach the target and very fast with the hypersonic missiles. Right. And they're pulling, they're holding back on using... They're serious weaponry. Now, I will also point out that back on the Elon Musk thing, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they're in favor of Elon Musk, they seem to – their idea of what Elon Musk should do starts and ends. I'm seeing too many people with Donald Trump getting his account back. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Can I tell you why? Well – Well, he he said he's not coming back. But but, do you know why
1: he would say that and why it's likely he's going to adhere to that, at least for the time being? Truth, Truth Social is owned by a publicly traded company that has investors. And obviously there was a pitch period where people said, okay, we're going to give you all this money. Trump is going to create this thing to compete with Twitter or whatever. And now... If day one he just jumps ship and says, oh, I'm going back to Twitter, screw this whole thing, he'll get sued. Those investors will say, wait a minute, we invested this on the basis that you were going to be all over it. And now Trump is once again, because he surrounds himself with idiots like Devin Nunes and whoever else is behind that truth social. You know, this idea was first articulated by Robert David Steele on my show. He wanted Trump to create something called Trumper to compete with Twitter. And then instead of tweets, you would have trumpets. And we know that Devin Nunes' lawyer is the very controversial Stephen Biss who represented Robert David Steele in his fake lawsuit against me, which I defeated in federal court. So Devin Nunes' lawyer is incompetent and in my estimation, totally dishonest. I think Devin Nunes is incompetent.
0: Also, in my opinion, Trump is making a mistake. It's an all or nothing mistake. If he were smart, and he's not that smart a lot of times, what he would do is he would say on truth and use Twitter to promote truth. Right. He use he would say I'm going to I'm proposing this today. Here's my propo- I'm proposing to fix the border wall. And if you want to get the full plan, visit my site that truth because the way the internet works it makes reference to other sites a lot of times on twitter see it's it's like if if i have a blog let's say i don't make it all or nothing i don't say you either it's all on the blog or on twitter i use twitter to cross promote and that's what trump would do because twitter has a bigger audience, much bigger oh, yeah, audience, absolutely. and a different audience than Truth. Well, there's so a bigger problem. what he problem. do
1: is he- There's a bigger problem. Truth Social, from a software standpoint and a UI standpoint, is terrible. It does not function well, and it's not available on the you know computer. It's only on the iPhone. It's not available on Android. Devin Nunes is all over Fox News saying, we can't get canceled by big tech, but downloaded from the Apple store. The second Tim Cook decides he doesn't like Devin Nunes and Truth Social, he's canceled by big tech. So it was the wrong approach from the beginning. Devin Nunes, as you and I said before they even started, is the wrong guy for the job. There might be something Devin Nunes is good at, but being in Congress or running this social media platform, those aren't it. And I, I just think truth social is a disaster and whatever tr- Trump can do to unwind that without getting himself into a legal problem with his investors and get back onto Twitter is going to be the best thing for Trump and for whatever but it is he wants think, to do.
0: Do you think that Elon Musk has made it clear that Donald Trump could come back? I, cause I think that I, I think he, he has to leave the door open He is to say people, a lot, as beyond Trump, there's a lot of people who've had their accounts canceled. Yes. And Elon Musk needs to say, in the same way Roger Stone could come back, or anybody, uh, Milo, anybody, Trump needs to be able to. And then if he chooses not to come back, it's just right.
1: choice. Yes, they need to introduce their new appeal process and say that anyone who has had an account suspended under the old algorithm or the old rules may now appeal through this process. And it stands to reason that there's going to be a time frame involved because if you've been kicked off of there – For making a death threat, you should stay off. If you've done something tortious or illegal, you should be kicked off. But if you just said, you know, uh, Bill Gates has bigger boobs than my high school girlfriend, that's a matter of opinion. That might be offensive to Bill Gates, but there's nothing illegal about making fun of Bill Gates. That's something I could say on stage in a stand-up comedy routine and some people will laugh and find it funny and others will not. But that's within the context of First Amendment speech and I should not have been canceled off of Twitter for saying it.
0: There we go. Now, ch- coming up, Charles Ortel will be talking about the Elon Musk buy decision on Twitter mm. among other topics. Yes. Including the Clinton Foundation. Coming up right after this on The The Backstory. On the backstory, 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., we're joined by guest co-host Jason Goodman. And Jason, I'm going to let you do the honors of let, let's, let's see your announcing abilities. Why don't you do the intro to Charles Ortel. Bring him on.
1: Our next guest is the esteemed genius, Charles Ortel. Welcome to the show, Charles. <laughs> I don't. Uh,
2: the only genius I know is my dad. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you very much. It's great to be on.
0: Now, Ch- Charles, yeah, welcome to the show. We're we're talking about the Elon Musk Twitter deal, and what's first off? What's your general take? And then, because you know the world of finance, anything that jumped out at you about the deal that may have missed us mere mortals.
2: Sure. Well, I, I, I welcome the development of a proven venture capital tech investor taking what is a disastrous investment, Twitter, from a financial standpoint, for, for the people who got in in the initial public offering many years ago at a price not very far below the current offer price. In the land of sophisticated investing involving big sums of money, uh, a lot of that money is channeled into things like, like Twitter from funds funds tend to have a a, a given life, not much longer than eight or 10 years. So to spend a lot of time in a a company that has a novel concept and many attractive features and benefits, but has not yet managed to really put a lot of cash flow and profit and regularly expanding revenue on the boards, and that has so disappointed people who are IPO investors um, and then for that that site to become toxic, which I think it was prior to, to Musk's uh, involvement here, I think that a site that should have embraced all viewpoints, it should have been responsible viewpoints, it should have been a forum to challenge the comfortable status quo, and even to articulate ideas that are that are unsettling or you know, that trigger people, uh, if, if you will, because it's those types of ideas which challenge the status quo that really advance. Uh, productive learning, I think. And instead, it became a place where I and Jason and perhaps you, Lee, we all feared. We we thought twice about at least I thought twice about what I put up on Twitter because I enjoyed the utility of it. I enjoyed using it to get to know other people, expressing my views. And I can tell you, in the days uh, well, this week, my engagement in Twitter, for some reason, maybe it's just me me seeing something that's not there, uh, the, the engagement is much more significant and the new followers, and the uh, benefits I'm getting out of it are, are much greater already. Let's see if that's, that could just be uh, psychological on my part. But I hope if he perfects the deal and is able to perfect the deal, that uh, existing shareholders will get their cash and the company will go into a cocoon, reinvent itself, and ultimately emerge a lot stronger.
1: Charles, I think what you're seeing is real. A lot of people, and and I, are reporting increased engagement, more followers. I think there are people who voluntarily stepped away from it who are coming back. I think there are people who perhaps were blocked that like me have submitted appeals. It's unclear if these appeals have been addressed yet. I spoke with Laura Loomer earlier today and she's very disappointed that people haven't been reinstated yet. You raised a very important point just now. The deal is not complete. It's just been approved, right? There's still a lot of steps until Musk actually owns it and then controls it and changes it, right?
2: Exactly. And uh, what Musk Musk did is he made a conditional proposal, which the board in principle has endorsed, to turn that into uh, either an exchange offer where cash goes to shareholders through a proxy annual meeting or special meeting. Or a tender offer where uh, there's an offer made directly to you that you can choose to accept or reject. Um, there's going to be a lot of legal paperwork involved, and they got to make sure they got all that right, including disclosures concerning Musk himself and his structure that's being put in place to finance and make this offer, complete the offer. On top of that, we have the recent development just moments ago where the EU, European Union, that disaster. Is not worth the cancer on the countries in Europe uh, has now put Musk on notice that um, that uh, Europe is not a free speech zone and Musk is going to have to comply with EU diktats concerning you know what uh, what goes over Twitter and I, I don't have the, the announcement in front of me but the summary is something that like uh, words have become weapons that can actually harm people. And they feel a responsibility at that disaster of the EU to try to protect this of words to, to, to protect people from the sting of nasty words, the silliness. Yeah.
0: Well, well. Also, I, I I've been thinking about this. If their goal was to combat disinformation, they've sucked at it. They've done a horrible job. So so, for instance, they've had censorship. But I can tell you that they – what did they block things like the 100 Biden laptop story, which are now clearly, conclusively, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN admitted it's true. So they've been allowing disinformation, and I think that's what Europe wants them to do is to keep allowing disinformation – but not approved information. Charles? Uh,
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that the state should control uh, what is, you know, what's disinformation, what's data information, what's some (laughs) other kind of information. The information is something that seven and a half billion people today, if they have electricity, not everybody does obviously, but if you have electricity and you have the ability to get on the internet, think for yourself. Most human beings on the planet, Joe Biden accepted and maybe his cabinet, are better prepared today to evaluate, to sift truth from from fiction. Uh, Biden seems to remember he was preoccupied uh, finding true facts as opposed to false facts. But anyway, most right. uh, people can do that. They don't need the government to help them out too terribly much. And it's the raging debate. It's the, the Jason who says – one thing, and the Lee who says something else, and the Charles who says yet another thing, and we get together, maybe we're each partially right, uh, and we move the ball down the field figuratively by uh, taking the best parts of what each of us has to say on a subject and advancing common knowledge. That's a process that doesn't need to involve Twitter censors, and it certainly doesn't need, need to involve purple-haired 25-year-old people who never spent any time in a science or math classroom uh, and who have no freaking clue about economics. I'm referring here as well to people in Congress. Um, those are not the people who should be telling what is truth and what is not truth. We, the voters, we, the, the people, are well able to do that. And we, we've spent a lot of time in this new millennium wasting time uh, with allowing these censors to, to censor very damaging things, they're stories that would have had great utility. I'll, I'll tread carefully here, but there are things that were stamped out under this this censorship regime that, had we thought about them differently, say in March 2020, maybe a whole bunch of people would still be alive today.
1: Yeah. Now, Charles, one other question. Sorry, Lee. As the market is about to close, Charles, what is it telling us that Twitter is closing down over four percent, Tesla down over twelve percent? It seems negative on Musk. No.
2: Well, no. There was a very technical thing that happened today, and it's called a puke fest. Not (laughs) technical. The the market across the board; many companies are reporting uh, lowered expectations for twenty twenty two. Uh, results, whether it's because of the ch- supply chain issues or inflation or Ukraine or you name it, and so a lot of companies are saying wh- where we thought we would come in here for the year, we're now below. One company that I, you know, you guys know, I follow carefully is General Electric. They reported disastrous earnings and expectations for 2022. So, the one thing I don't understand, you asked, what what do I see from uh, my background in in the Twitter bit. I would have thought that, that uh, Musk would, would do this as a cash tender offer. In other words, he'd go and he would get, now that he has the board's approval, he would go and firm up his financing so that he can do a very simple deal and say, you know, I've got the cash. I'm going to put it in an account. And here's the notice to all the shareholders. Make up your mind on this schedule and you'll get your check um, in a certain number of days. I guess perhaps one of the reasons for the hangup is maybe they, there are some government approvals needed. The European could be one. Maybe there are other ones. Uh, and he's they're probably working to get those in shape.
0: Let's turn to the Durham investigation. We had a new filing in the Durham investigation before the weekend. And these filings tend to be longer than they need to be. And I, I mean that in a good way. They tend to be, am, am I correct that they tend to explain things in a more, Thorough manner than you'd think he would need you in in some of these filings, and they are an indicator of where the investigation is going. What do we learn from this new filing? What did it say? And do you agree that he's dropping clues, as it were, about where the investigation is headed in these filings? Uh, I,
2: I think to date he seems to be doing very patient and thorough work. Uh, the revelation that, th- that he has had for some time now hundreds of emails showing that various and sundry people were trying to peddle the Russian collusion delusion nonstop in this campaign, crucial com- campaign period 16 and then in early 17 and afterwards that he's had all that for a long time. Um, remember, his charge is to understand the origins of the Russian hoax allegations. He's he's trying to understand how this came about. To do that, Jason and I, on our show, and your colleague, Katya Blanova, over in Russia, have done a lot of work trying to understand what is it that Biden, Obama, and the Clintons have to hide here? And frankly, also the Bushes and certain rhinos. What were they so fearful of uh, should Trump come to power? And I think one of the things they were very fearful of, and justifiably so, is that on November 18, 2004, the Clinton Foundation entered into a, literally a 200-year agreement with the National Archives requiring it to be a foundation during its entire term in good standing in proper legal form and effect. And it was a fraud on November 18th, 2004 and has remained one ever since. Yet, under the Bush White House, they covered it up and Elder Bush and then Junior Bush got involved working with this crooked Clinton Foundation, with their foundations. Then Obama uh, selects Hillary and they deceive the US Senate about the state of the Clinton Foundation. The MOU is a joke. They then pretend they fixed it up. And all along the way, these are some technicalities. The real meat in the sandwich is that they were using and are using these type of uh, crooked, leaky foundations as ways to purchase influence for political families involved, get cash in their foundations. No one cares where it goes. And then when their uh, elite donors, supposed elite donors want a decision to go a certain way, either to be not prosecuted for something, to get a no-bid contract or both, they get the, the benefits out of either our government or the UN or the multinational organizations around the world. That is a big ongoing scandal that is not simply in the United States of America. It's in the UK it's in, certainly in Switzerland. It's in uh, many donor countries, France, et cetera. Uh Dynastic political families use supposed charities as conduits to trade influence for money. And that's what they, I think, were trying to cover up.
0: And I agree. That is one of the things. And also, I've talked a lot about how Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the Russian billionaire, at one point the richest man in Russia, he since... He's in exile in London, not a bad exile for him. But uh, Kordakowski was dealing with by promoting the Magnitsky Act. It was dealing with the attempt to steal Russian energy assets, and the, he bought Yukos oil back in the in the the, the period of time. Uh, Kortokoski bought it in a real scammy way and as soon as he bought it he became on the board of the Carlisle group and that connects him to Bush and Kortokoski was using and he's also it ties into foundation because one of the things he did was he set up a foundation for himself this seems to be Explain how uh, billionaires, oligarchs, whatever their country of origin, use these foundations. How is the Clinton Foundation used to escape notice for what they're doing, which is often financial chicanery? How are these foundations used, Charles?
2: I'll answer but I've got to give some context first. What Another thing they were trying to cover up is— What Clinton was doing during his presidency from 1992 forward, um, if you think about the former Soviet Union, the brigands, the capitalist brigands, unprincipled crooks around the world, looted the former Soviet Union and and Eastern Europe, and to a certain extent Western Europe, through a bunch of what are called privatizations, where political insiders in these given countries would be given a chance. They could find foreign investment capital to buy state-owned assets, and these assets were bought, bought typically traffic for much less than their intrinsic worth and people close to the leaders of the country you know, around the world derived great benefits, right? To get that done, to get access to that international money, you need to have somebody like a Bill Clinton who can get you to the head of the IMF, who can get you to the head of the World Bank, who can get you to the big multinational Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley types, and the investment funds. And so that's a longstanding pattern of practice that I've been arguing for years There ought to be an international tribunal where we go back over all these privatizations and figure out who was stealing the money, where are these assets, and try to have some redressing of of all this and put the real crooks to prison. As for the foundations, the way those those are used, uh, in order to have the political influence that you need to move nation states around, you've got to think through how you get somebody elected. In this country, uh, it's very expensive, and they're theoretically, are limits, on paper anyway, how much money an individual can give to a declared candidate. There are no such limits on foundations. So if, if a, uh, a foreigner like Victor Pinchuk is one example, uh, wants to give a bunch of money to the Clinton Foundation, and he doesn't particularly care where it's going, because what he's really trying to do is get, gain some other theoretical benefit, he can do that. And if the, the foundation is like the Clinton Foundation, is doesn't have real auditors that are thorough and understand what's going on, don't really care to, to comply with the law, are content to put out materially false and misleading documents. And if the system is game that the IRS isn't going to do anything about it, the Justice Department will do even less, then you have a mechanism to, to get, get your hooks into uh, politicians who can return the favor many, many fold. And you could do it not just in America, you can do it in other France with Sarkozy, you could do it in England with Blair, you just pick a long list of names. And this can be repeated again and again and again. And it is so shameful that the mainstream media and social media have not made an issue of this and brought these these charity crooks to prison where they belong.
1: And one quick point that I haven't thought of before now is this Kordakovsky Foundation. I'm looking at it for the first time, and it says that the first project undertaken by it was a boarding school that offers places for up to 180 children from vulnerable and disadvantaged backgrounds in Russia's 40 regions. And it separately has something called the Oxford Russia Fund, which right away causes me to think of Strobe Talbot and Bill Clinton.
0: And Oxford University clearly is one of the centers of power. Yes. Uh, so, so uh, go ahead, Charles. Yeah.
2: Uh, one other thing, just it's a nuance, but I'll do it very quickly. The other thing that people need to understand is that folks like Bill Gates, who have founder stock that they got for nothing, in the main in, in, in Microsoft, whose value goes suddenly it's worth a hundred billion dollars, under the U.S. tax system, when a, somebody like a Gates gives appreciated stock, stock that's risen in value a tremendous amount to a charity he still controls. He can take a tax deduction against his income. He's got to work with accountants and, and all that kind of stuff. And in essence, by, by transferring his stock from one pocket, one of his pockets to another of his pockets, he still has influence through, via the foundation over the Microsoft shares. He gets a big check from the IRS. There's no state income tax in Washington, so he doesn't get a state check. But he gets a huge check back And he's actually making cash by making a donation to a foundation. And that's something that, um, you know, they change. They tinker with those rules year by year. So I'm not sure at this minute what the precise rule is, but there was a long period of time when he was making donations when he could do that and when others could do the same thing. Those rules need to be changed. If you're going to give stock away to a charity, you should not control that charity.
0: And hasn't these various funds and thin like like the Ford Foundation is what I'm thinking of, they've been around and problematic for decades, right? How have the Ford Foundation and other like the Rockefeller Foundation, the John D Catherine T. McGregor Foundation, McDonald Foundation, how have they been, have they been used to well,
2: that, foster a big social top. agenda? Yeah, that's a big yeah. topic and a great issue. Um, the, they've been very clever. The people who are in, inclined to be mo- monopolistic in nature. I think you're sort of born, you are born that way. You don't identify as a monopolist. You have, you <laughs> have the you know, <laughs> instinct that you, I'm going to you know, be a monopolist. And I'm going to abuse my position. So the people who want to get behind that monopolistic thinking quickly figure out that there's just a handful of brand names that you need to control in academia, media, now it's social media. And once you do, once you pick who gets tenure at Harvard and who doesn't, and who gets into Harvard and who doesn't, and whose papers get published and who doesn't, you can quickly find yourself in the place that Gates was in until very recently, where he gives so much money away through his foundations that dissidents who don't like to see what he's doing can't get published. They can't get their books published. They lose their jobs. Uh, they get marginalized and. For a long period of time, he can pontificate about subjects uh, that he knows very little, in fact, about and and be taken seriously as one of the world's leaders with Chelsea Clinton on, for example, global health. I mean, I I won't be graphic on this radio, but I mean, some of the ideas that the two of those people have come up with are wackier than, you know, watching chimpanzees in a zoo fling things at each other.
0: And, and it is, it, and a lot of this relates to what's called civil society, and uh, that's non-governmental and non-business organizations such as clubs, charities, philanthropies, uh, even sports teams. And civil society is very important to this concept. And Hillary Clinton put together a program called Civil Society 2.0 when she was Secretary of State that helped these foundations and, and became a way to get tax dollars to the foundations. Do you know anything about that, Charles? I
2: do, I do. And, and and you know anything that she might have done in that area is something that I would go back over with a fine-tooth comb because it's unlikely to have been as advertised. I mean, she, in her own book, she talks about that at some length, and she talks about how she was working with, with her husband, she claimed, charity called Clinton Health Access Initiative in 2009 in South Africa, that she went down there. When somebody was, became Eric Goosby, I think, became the uh, uh, U.S. AIDS coordinator, and they went down there and they worked on this big project together in, I think it was September of 2009. There's just one small problem with that. Clinton Health Access Initiative didn't formally exist, had been taking all kinds of money that disappeared, some think, into her campaign and funding their lifestyles. And so the, the operation of U.S. charities, as, frankly, uh, Vladimir Putin has noted in the past, outside borders is something that is very difficult to police. The authorities in Little Rock, for example, who are supposed to be on top of the Clinton Foundation— they have no ability to know what the Clinton Foundation is really doing anywhere, let alone in Siberia, for example, where they did claim they were operating. Who's checking that? And sounds good. Now you've got somebody with a lot of money in theory swanning around the world in private jets, walking into a country saying, I'm going to give you some of my money. What if they're really there as front people for the mining companies and energy companies to figure out how to scoop up valuable resources at, at pennies on the dollar? Who's going I to track all that? that.
0: And that's a fantastic report, Charles Ortell, and and it obviously gets into a lot of deep issues, and we couldn't couldn't cover it all today in the half hour we had. But we'd love to be back anytime, Charles Ortell, discuss some of these issues further. And thanks, Jason Goodman, for getting us. Charles Ortell, and his guest hosting responsibilities, he's also apparently guest producer. <laughs> but it was a great appearance by Charles Ortell. Any final words from you, Jason? Uh, No, it's just always great to hear from Charles.
1: And people can see Sunday with Charles every Sunday at 3 on CrowdSource the Truth. And on Wednesdays at 3, we do Charles Ortel is closing in. So more depth on these topics there.
0: We'll go to a short break now. And then when we come back, we'll be taking your calls, 202-521-1320. And also later in the half hour, We'll have Ted Rawl on the backstory. And we are live from the Empire of Lies, and behind Outside the Matrix. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is the backstory. And with guest host Jason Goodman today on the show, who helped us arrange for a great guest today, Charles Ortell. That's a fantastic appearance by Charles. You better agree.
1: Yeah, no, great, great insights from Charles. And I mean, like I said, he just knows so much about this stuff. It's like you just sit back and listen and all you can do is shake your head because, I mean, everything that he is saying, this is not like his opinion or some hypothesis. This is just factual public domain information from IRS filings, from filings that are published on the Clinton Foundation website. And all you have to do is look at it and see it's in plain sight
0: and I think a lot of this stuff relates to the conflict in Ukraine oh yeah which has been been a long time CIA operation and that's why I stand with Russia on this because I realize all this stuff that Vladimir Putin is taking on the theft of assets from Russia you know it's a monumental task, and you're not going to get justice through the American legal system. No. The American legal system is part of the cover-up. I agree. So coming up this half hour, at the bottom of the hour, Ted Rall from New York, author, cartoonist, Bombay Vaughn, we're looking forward to talking to Ted, and hey, Jason. Yeah. I forget. What's the name of the show again?
1: The Backstory. Well done. Yeah. Ted's on Twitter, so that's good. He hasn't been blocked.
0: No. but Ted's a leftist, too, so less people on the left have been blocked. Yeah. It seems because it seems like there are certain issues. There are two ways to get banned on Twitter. And the first one seems to have been, I mean, if you say negative stuff about the election or whatever, that's come up as a new thing. But the way to get banned traditionally from Twitter is be not woke. Right. We're having a situation in South Dakota, where I am actually. There was an article in the paper today that they're shaming a teacher up. Uh, in Watertown, a small city in South Dakota, mm-hmm. and the teacher was approached by four students of his, and apparently, this high, even in South Dakota, one of these high school students and her friend has decided that she's a man. Mm-hmm. You follow me? That's her gender. Despite right. having a hoo-ha. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> if, despite having it parts. <laughs> right. I can say it at FCC. I can't even say the name of that band in Russia. Oh, the riot. That ends with riot. Yeah. Uh, that's that's even banned by the FCC. But what the, they, de- they went to their teacher, and they demanded that this girl – who wants to be called a boy, be called using masculine pronouns. And the teacher was like, I'm not going to. Yeah. And he he wrote a letter to the kids explaining exactly why. And he obviously respects them, but only goes so far and doesn't want to call this girl a dude's name you know
1: yeah
0: and and it, it comes down to pronouns too because it's not just a, the name but it's also pronouns and i've seen a bizarre argument about this
1: what's that some
0: people have said well just call them by their first names don't use pronouns uh-huh. a pronoun is a valid part of speech right if 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 i don't If I want to talk about Charles Artel, and I said, he said something in that interview, that's quicker than saying every time Charles Artel said something in that interview.
1: Right. I mean, it's also just your natural flow. Why do we have to adjust everything we do to accommodate any particular person's mental illness or proclivity or whatever? It's like it's crazy.
0: And even even if. Even if I don't call it a mental illness in this context, I can leave that off the table. Well, let me rephrase. I'm
1: sorry to interrupt, Lee. I'm just saying I don't want to insult someone by saying that, but I acknowledge body dysmorphia and gender dysmorphia as a valid mental illness that needs treatment.
0: And I'm not sure. The thing about the woke stuff is it's become trendy So I have no idea if that person, you know, here's the other thing. A lot of these people, when they talk about gender, they talk about like hermaphrodites, right? They say not everyone was born, but they're not part of that movement. They're not
1: trying to, you know, get you to change pronouns and proud. You know, I think that's a, that's a very difficult condition for somebody to cope with.
0: Right. And, and, but it's also rare. Yes. It, it doesn't come up much. And I'd never heard it being a problem before the woke stuff. A lot of the woke stuff is about controlling language. Yeah. Uh, and so that – I think the era – Elon Musk has made various negative statements about woke culture. Yes, He recently said Netflix is being destroyed By wokeness. Yes. I'm paraphrasing slightly. That's not exactly what he said, but it's close. And I think the age of banning people for not being woke enough is about to be over. I hope that's right. Well, I I just say that because not based on a wish, but based on what Elon Musk has said. Elon Musk doesn't like them.
1: I mean, you know what? I've become a little bit skeptical over the past five years because, you know, I think a lot of people believe that when you reach a certain point where it's just you've lost, there's a time to give up and acknowledge it and whatever. But what I've seen in this fight is that they just never give up. They keep doubling down on the lies. We heard Barack Obama last Thursday giving a speech at the cyber whatever center at Stanford, putting forward the claims that Russia colluded with Donald Trump, to hand the 2016 election to Trump. He, he stated that as if it's established
0: fact. Right. And, and clearly it's been disproven. And although that would have been awesome. That would have been great. Trump's okay. be, been forced into being anti-Russian. And that's the, you know, what they've done is, is a bully technique. A, it's, it's very schoolyard with Trump because if you love live Putin so much, why don't you make out with him? Right. And then the person has a poster of Trump and Putin making out. Right. What would possess an artist and out there – by the way, if you're drawing a picture of Trump and Putin kissing and you're making that up out of your mind, you probably want to be involved – in a way, you've not been able to psychologically admit. Right. <laughs> you have big, bigger issues. I agree. But uh, that's Barack Obama keeping the pressure on, and they're enabled by, they've been enabled by big tech, and enabled by people going along with it. Mm. And Twitter is saying it's a valid reason to ban somebody because they, I, I got into a bicker fest slightly with someone on Twitter. And they were saying, well, why wouldn't the teacher – why would the teacher misgender them? They asked that. And I said, so by misgender, you mean calling the gender that they were born. Right.
1: (laughs) Because that's what they mean. Yes, and you've just hit on the essence of the problem. Barack Obama and everybody who's on his side of this argument presents a situation where they say misinformation – and disinformation are dangerous and we need laws to protect people from them. They never talk about the mechanism by which we're going to determine that a particular piece of information is mis, dis or regular information. He just says, we're gonna decide what disinformation is and we're gonna block it. And by the way, men can get pregnant, and, you know, women can have penises, according to them.
0: Yes. And 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 it's it's calling misgendered because despite the genitalia, which is why I brought the hoo-ha before, I, I don't think this girl had gone, I hope it, it wasn't the case, and had surgery. What or literally age, changed her name. What age was she? High school students. They could have. They're they're fuzzy on some of the details. Yeah. But I don't think that was what happened. I think she, she was just... I'll put it like this. The transgender athletics issue. The dude who's won all the women's swimming events. Yeah. What has Thomas. he cut off Le- to Le- win? Leah Thomas.
1: No, they said that he has his penis in the locker room with the girls.
0: Right. And and so it's not detachable. It's right. in the locker room with the girls. Yeah, so, that's Jack White, right? Or who, did, who has that? Now, now. That is not, you know, if someone's done that, if someone's changed their name legally and had body parts cut off, then if they want to be called whatever, they at least have the strength of their convictions.
1: Yes, they're committed to
0: it, right. Right, right. They went through some pain, the surgery, and— they're dealing with that. But I think just if a girl decides, and I'm convinced this is what it was, she just decided, I don't want to be labeled that way. Yeah. Now, that's the reason I, I I, slightly push back on what you were saying about mental illness. That's the case in some cases. But in this case, I just think it's entitlement. And it would be if... The teenager had said to the teacher, I want to be referred to as a rutabaga. Right. Well, you're not. Yeah. So I'm I'm not gonna treat you that way.
1: Let me ask you something, Lee. I mean, I I, I went to public school when I was a kid. I think you did, right? Yeah. So did they Was it a regular occurrence that you could stop the class of 20 or 30 other children and say, hey, I I have this particular desire that must be accommodated by you? That's not the way it worked in my school. You sat there and everybody had to kind of like, we were a class. Everybody kind of like did the same thing and listened to the same instructions from the teacher and participated. It wasn't about, you know, singling out every little need, every little desire, every little special condition for every person.
0: That's not what it was about. No, no, it it, it wasn't. But those days are gone. And so, now at this point, the Argus leader, which is a local paper up here, Mm -hmm. was highlighting this. And someone on Twitter had highlighted this letter that the teacher had sent to these kids explaining his decision. And they called it backwards and cringy and everything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything cringy about it. I don't think that the teacher should be under any obligation to just call, if if your kid walks into school and decides, I will to be referred to as black. Right. And they're And they're white. Well, how dare you not refer to them as black? Well, the answer would be, because he's not black. How does that okay. make other
1: students feel? Why right. aren't we considering that? What if a little girl doesn't like it that someone who's a boy, what if it confuses a little girl that a boy wants to be called a girl? Like, why? where do we stop? Where do we draw the line of who is hurt by what and everything? It's like crazy.
0: And I think that the people have been literally thrown off Twitter for misgendering people. Yes, and uh at, at at worst that's rude. Like Chelsea Manning. I see people refer to Chelsea Manning, the whistleblower, sometimes as Bradley Manning. Right. Which is her name before she had a sex change. Right. At best, that's rude. Yeah. And Chelsea Manning's a person who spent time in prison. I dare say that Chelsea Manning's biggest problem. Was not being called the wrong name, right? No, you know, prison was rough. Well, and I then assume. went
1: back, right?
0: Yes, and because she refused to give in, yeah. and so, so it's it's insane that the woke stuff has been given authority by high tech, by yeah. tech companies, if. They're – by throwing people off for doing that, they're giving it power. They're giving these demands that these entitled people are making. They're giving them power. Yeah. And I think that's over. And let's, let's talk about it. You can have a discussion about it, and you can make an argument sure. about it. But one- that's free speech. Yeah, yeah Jason, go but, ahead.
1: well, one other thing, uh, a victory for the anti-woke is uh, RT is reporting right now that a Russian court has frozen Google assets. The U.S. tech giant faced a lawsuit after YouTube blocked the account of a Russian entertainment channel. See, now that's interesting because only in the United States does this 47 USC Section 230 exist. If you're in court in Russia and they say, "Hey, you're not allowed to block a Russian channel for this law or whatever," Google has to go and deal with that. So I think this EU law—I mean, there's—it's not necessarily going to be smooth sailing. You know, the, like I said, these uh, woke warriors do not go quietly into the night. They're—they're they're pretty uh, persistent, I have to say.
0: And what's interesting is. There's an alignment between the radical left interests. And by the way, not everyone who's a radical leftist agrees with the woke ideology at okay. all. A lot of people I know who are socialists or communists don't go for identity politics. Got it. And partially because it's anti-Marxist. Marx believed that the distinction was class. Right. Mm-hmm. Very, very clear. Yeah. Mark, Orthodox Marth, Marxism is about class differences. And once you throw race in, you're now into something else. And actually something that's more fascist. Because race was the big issue. You you seldom hear Nazis talk about class. Right. They're all about race. Yeah. And it had been traditionally – you seldom hear commies talk about race. It was about class. Yeah. And so they want – if you're a worker, according to the ideology, uh, a black worker and a white worker have more in common than a black billionaire and a black worker. Right. But – throwing in race or gender or any of these other post-Frankfurt School things. this, This is why that movement of cultural Marxism upended not just Western culture, but Marxism. And it's why you have so many leftists who, in fact, don't agree with that and think it's harmful and don't buy it. But what you know who does? Is the neoliberals, the establishment, the the billionaire socialists. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: So let me ask you this: If you were to assign a more descriptive name to this movement that we're calling woke, that is not aligned with traditional uh, leftist socialists, what, how would you describe it? What would you name it other than woke?
0: I get identity politics,
1: identity politics. So it's people who who want to have you call them Z and, and, and them and have purple hair and, and force you to act like that's normal to tattoo your face and pierce your nose and make your hair pink and all that is normal. What are you looking at?
0: Right. That's, that's identity politics. It focuses on the non-class issues Uh and focuses more on identity and it's combined with a rampant subjectivism mm-hmm. that says that there's, you know, no. There's one person I saw on the lives of TikTok website who's saying, at birth, doctors make a guess about your gender. What? No, they said, look, actually, doctors look at you and then make a guess about your gender. Ah. Uh. Uh, And
1: you've had five kids, Lee, and I'm sure you've been there for the birth of many of them. What's your take on that?
0: We never guess. We're always pretty pretty sure. Right. But actually, actually, I got triggered today. I was talking about the issue in South Dakota Mm -hmm. with my girlfriend. And uh, she said, I'll tell you, and, and I admit I was wrong. In the sense, I shouldn't have been so triggered by it. Although some people might feel sympathetic. Okay. So I appreciate your sympathy, but I did get triggered by it. She used the phrase, his truth. She said, you know, the teacher's expressing his truth. Right. And I freaked out. I don't like the phrase, his truth. Do you, Jason? I'm sure you've heard that.
1: Well, because it suggests – it's kind of condescending, suggesting that, well, let's let you exercise your imagination, and then we'll talk about the actual truth.
0: Right. And and my girlfriend didn't mean anything by it. She's right. younger. Right, right, and, right. And uh, I think she was just using a phrase – Yeah, that's, that's like a that's
1: colloquialism in, that's – right, in vogue, right.
0: Right. She's, she's in her early 30s yeah. and talks to a lot of people for – early 30s, around that age range, and they just used the phrase, my truth. But no one I knew as an old guy, did you know anyone, did you grow up around people who said my truth?
1: No, but, you know, woke is new, and there's all kinds of terms that uh, come into the vernacular that, uh, you know, maybe weren't, uh, you don't say wicked that much anymore, you know, unless you're in Boston, and even then I think it's limited.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but it it gets to do with something I've talked about with Car, Carl Aaron from mm-hmm. Unsafe Space, who's a guest host every week or two. uh w- the idea of subjectivism, acting as if there's no objective reality, there's just opinions.
1: Yeah, right. You know, that's I, it. Yeah, you know, you can't do that. You Can't do that. Just a little update. Yes. Lee, the market has closed, and the headline is talking about Tesla wipes out $114 billion in value. It's, uh, it's down almost uh, 13.5% for the day. So I don't know what that means, but Twitter is down slightly, Tesla's down a lot. But then, of but course, I as Charles said, the Dow is down uh, a huge amount.
0: And, right, the earnings report are. Uh, End of the quarter, our news reports are out. Yeah. And I don't know what the earnings on Tesla was.
1: Neither do I. So
0: I don't know, you know, I don't know how that fits into that. Neither do but, I. But uh, now, the other thing, what's your sense, Jason, uh, of has as the war, we're now over two months into the war. Between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. As this has rolled out over time, how have you seen people's opinions change on the war? I
1: I don't know that I've seen that many opinions change. Uh, you know, I think that on Crowdsource the Truth and on the backstory, we you know, people are the people who are interacting with me in terms of comments are people who tend to agree with you and I, that Russia stated their claim. Ukraine failed to adhere to the Minsk agreements and Russia made a number of efforts to you know, seek a diplomatic resolution. At a certain point, they decided this was it and they had to conduct this military operation. And it is certainly more justified than any American military operation in recent memory. I understand why they're doing it, and I think it's been effective. I'm very concerned with the things the United States have been doing. I haven't seen opinions change.
0: I've actually seen it slowly start to do what it did on Russiagate and on COVID-19 and other topics like this. I've seen people who begin to do their own research, and my, that's why my Twitter following has increased steadily. Since the beginning of the war. Mm. A lot of people didn't know about this. They learned about Zelensky. They didn't know anything about him at the start of war. Yeah. And so they hear Russia invaded and then like the sound that. So siding with Zelensky at first, but then when they look into him more, and they look into his connections to Klaus Schwab yeah. and and uh, and, and the fact that he's asking for money so much.
1: Every time, he's, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right. And now it's up to, like, he's saying he needs $7 billion a month. Unbelievable. When they first heard about it, I've noticed people, when they first were hearing about it, they might have given Zelensky the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And they didn't give Putin the benefit of the doubt. They've been trained not to give Putin right. the benefit. Spinning it out yeah but you know what i'm saying
1: absolutely it's still happening there was a protest in new york over the weekend where they were chanting azov for the azov battalion and i've now asked three ukrainians people born in ukraine including my ex-wife what is up with this azov battalion and each one of them didn't say, well, you know, it's true. There are extremists, said, but it's this. They just roll their eyes and they say, oh, come on. I hate that answer. Oh, come on. You know what's No, I don't know what's true. We need to look at evidence and we need to evaluate it. And everybody who just rolls their eyes and dismisses this and forms some opinion based on watching CNN, it's very dangerously, I mean, it goes back to what's going on with Twitter, it's very clear that Twitter, whether by design or evolution, has become essentially the seeding ground for news. And if you control that, and you can, I mean, you, you said it—they wouldn't let the laptop story out. They amplify stories they like, and they attenuate stories that
0: they don't like. Right, and uh, part of this is, you know. Noam Chomsky years ago wrote a book called Manufacturing Consent. Mm-hmm. And that was a good book. And that idea that the point of the media actually is to create a consensus, is to create an orthodoxy, is to create the establishment position, and then to def- defend it and to attack people who are out- outside that. This is what they're doing. They manufacture consent. Yeah. Azov Battalion, you could have looked on CNN. I've talked about this before. Christopher Ray testified about the danger of Ukrainian Nazi groups, head of the FBI, in front of Congress. In fact, Congress passed a law, John Conyers was involved in that, against giving money to the Azov Battalion. Wow. They passed that law, and they stopped them. This wasn't controversial, but when now was that, that the, a few years ago, John wow. Conyers was alive, so I think seven years ago, something like that. Wow! But uh, and it made the news, and you can look it up and find it. Apparently, wow. this wasn't controversial with Congress, but now after the war started, suddenly they're denying it. So, right. let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Ted Rawl on Backstory. the backstory 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington DC and we're joined by guest host for the day Jason Gubin who's also put together a fantastic show and thanks for your guest hosting Jason.
1: My pleasure Lee.
0: Now we will bring on Ted Rawl, one of our favorite guests author cartoonist and Bobby Vaughn. Hey Ted how you doing? Hi Ted. Uh hi. Ted I'm How's it going, guys? I'm, it's it's going well. So I'm going to say to you a sentence I dare say, but I think it's a safe bet. I'm going to say to you, Jed Rall, a sentence no one has ever said to you. Are you ready? Wow. Okay. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm right. But here it goes. Okay. Ted, I was thinking about Kamala Harris today. And I thought of you. You said uh, <laughs> oh, she has COVID. Start. Right, that's why, because it occurred to me, the headline is Kamala Harris has COVID nineteen, and then I when I saw you on the show, I haven't inquired, and forgive me for doing it, but I haven't inquired about your health. Ted had COVID. Oh, and he was quite quite ill with it. Oh, and. Ivan asked, uh, "How how's your recovery going, Ted?" Uh, thanks for asking, Lee. Uh, it's uh, it's slow mm-hmm. but
3: sure. But uh, yeah, it's 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 long COVID. It's taking a long time. Uh, I'm sort of beating this bastard into submission. Uh, it's just a little, you know, little little bit more exercise every day. I'm sure I'm going to get there. But
0: I'm nowhere near where I was. Huh. Well, good, good. And I'm uh, glad you're better. And I apparently have long stroke.
1: Oh, geez. Well, wait, wait. One well, one quick question, Ted. Did you have the vaccine? And if so, which one? Or if you don't want to answer, that's okay. Are you there, Ted?
0: Ted Ted was the most vaccinated person I've met. Really? Yeah. Ted, how many vaccinations yeah. have you had? I'm uh, double boot I was double
3: Four. I've had four. Wow. Wow. And, and so you uh, got COVID so, yeah, after was, the fourth? And they were all, all Pfizer's.
1: Uh-huh. And you yeah, got COVID right. after the fourth?
3: Mm-hmm. After the fourth.
1: Do you feel the vaccine right. helped you? Do you have any sense of that?
3: Uh, you know, obviously it's just instinct. Um, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like I might've died without it. So I think it mitigated the symptoms. So I'm grateful for it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it really did affect Ted was pretty ill. And so we're glad he's recovered. Now, will France recover? We had the election this Sunday. And as you predicted, you thought Macron would pull this out. He beat Le Pen by about 10 points. And I'm sure you saw it. Le Pen made a speech after she conceded the loss where she came out and she kind of claimed a victory of sorts. Isn't that right, Ted?
3: Yes, she did. That's right. Um, you know, I mean, that's sort of normal. Um, whenever, uh, uh, there's a losing candidate, they, they say, well, you know, there's, we, we didn't get nothing out of this, but she's certainly right in that her party and her, uh, keep doing better Every time that she runs So uh, you know Certainly from the point of view of trying to build Her party and her brand uh, She's better off Now than she was Five years ago, ten years ago And so on
0: Huh? Well <laughs> now, now yeah. they, they talked about uh, When I was watching the election results They talked about The enthusiastic Macron supporters Gathered Below the Eiffel Tower, and I—those are another phrase I'd never heard before. Are there enthusiastic Macron supporters? Uh, uh, Apparently
3: so. I mean, I think they're probably just holdovers who may have been on vacation for the last five years and not paying much attention. Uh, There are, you know, it's just like the phrase "enthusiastic Hillary Clinton supporters." There were some. I don't understand them. But they did exist.
1: The only enthusiastic people about uh, Macron that I've seen are wearing yellow vests.
0: And they're not enthusiastic in a positive way. Right. No. Not at all. Now, do you expect anything different from Macron? A slight difference in tone, for instance, Ted?
3: Well, there there already has been a slight difference in tone. But I don't think you're going to see... Anything meaningful? I mean, you know, France is is still in the balance because, the you know, June is what matters now. The parliamentary elections are coming up. And normally the French tend to give the president a parliament from his own or her own party, uh, his own, since there's never been a female president. But there's going to... But uh, I think this time could be an exception. Uh, François Mitterrand had to deal with what they call cohabitation, where you have a different party uh, have the pres has the prime minister uh, versus the presidency, that's a very real possibility this time. Uh, Mélenchon and Le Pen are pushing hard. Uh, I would say advantage Mélenchon in this case. Um, it could end up an alliance between Mélenchon and Le Pen, uh, be a left-right sort of counter-centrist alliance, which would be bizarre, but not. Impossible under the parliamentary system. I think it's an uphill. I think right now it's an uphill climb uh, for the French are not inclined to give Macron uh, his to give his party uh, a sweeping control of the parliament the way they did the first time he won.
0: Now, Ted, let me ask you something we've not talked about before. But how responsible? And the answer might be zero. But I'm interested in your opinion. How responsible? Do you hold France for the Russian-Ukrainian conflict? Let me explain why I'm saying that at all. The Minsk Accords, the deal between Ukraine and Russia in 2015, that was supposed to be Germany and France were the other two cosigners. And Germany and France were supposed to make sure Ukraine kept up their part. And you, Ukraine did not keep up its the Minsk Accords, and I don't think Russia felt like France or Germany, and let's say that it's not just France, it's Germany, but I don't think Russia felt like France or Germany did their part to enforce the Minsk Accords, to require, and and I think if the Minsk Accords had been held to by Ukraine, we would not have seen the military action against Ukraine by Russia. So I'm not putting it squarely on them, but I'm saying, could France have done more to enforce the Minsk Accords, Ted?
3: You know, it would have just been verbal pressure And for all we know, that may have happened behind the scenes. Uh, You know, what else were the French going to do or the Germans? I mean, they're not going to impose, they weren't going to impose sanctions on Ukraine. Um, You know, I think, I think from what my understanding is, the French and the Germans figured that they had brokered a deal that the Ukrainians would see uh, for their part would be good for both sides, including theirs. And, you know, the fact that they didn't, that they didn't see it for you know any number of reasons, pigheadedness, stupidity, uh, perfidy, something else that we don't know about behind the corruption behind the scenes. Um, you know this was it's ninety percent the Ukrainians' fault. Uh, they, the you know they they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, I'm sure the French and the Ukraine and the Germans made a few phone calls behind the scenes, but you know I mean there was i think there was only so much they could do and i you know i i get the sense from macron's um messaging that he's he's still a little baffled that this war happened at all and the things got to this to this point and that's why he's trying he was trying to bring this in for a soft landing i think he would still like to
0: no and i and i i think that yeah i think it's a good analysis. Uh, Jason, any question for Ted? Well, I I mean,
1: you know, obviously everybody, uh, I, I don't think too many people in the United States are too fond of, you know, more of the same in France. Uh, I just, you know, we see, uh, our buddy Macron hanging out with Klaus Schwab at the world economic forum. And it just, you know, it seems like more of the same. Everybody here in the United States has been preoccupied with Twitter and all that. Not really thinking about France too much. I don't think. What do you think of that, Ted?
3: Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, I think this is viewed as a repeat of, uh, you know, the last two, like, well, the last time, uh, Marine Le Pen won and the time previous where her father made it to the runoff. Um, and in all of those cases, it's kind of like, oh, uh, yellow alert, uh, national front might be about to come to power in France. Uh, let's hope that the left, the actual left uh, joins with the center left and prevents that from happening. Oh, okay, that happened again. So everything's cool, nothing to worry about. Um, I think that's sort of been the, the vibe on the part of America. So I think they were on yellow alert. I think they were paying attention. And it seemed, uh, I would say within 10 days before the election, when it became pretty clear that unless the polls were really wrong, that Macron was going to win, uh, yeah, people just lost interest.
0: Now, Ted, you're the first guest we've had on yesterday with Scott and L. Hughes, and we are co-hosted by Carmine Sabia, both on the right, Jason and I on the right. You're the first person on the left we've had on the show since Elon Musk bought Twitter. And are you as freaked out, and I doubt it, but are you as freaked out as many people on Twitter as the thought of Elon Musk buying Twitter?
3: Uh, hello? no. Um, no, uh, I, I don't, honestly, I don't even understand the fuss. I mean, Twitter uh, pre-Musk has been censoring uh, people on the left and the right. And I've frankly been surprised that it hasn't happened to me yet um, for, you know, everything from the Hunter Biden laptop story to just, uh, you know, Sometimes it's just downright mysterious, like uh, referring to uh, the neo-Nazis and the Azov Battalion. Uh, I think there's a there's obviously a uh, some sort of algorithm on Twitter that just picks up the word Nazi and just immediately blocks you without even a human being checking to see what the context was. Uh, a number of political cartoonist colleagues of mine um, have been – uh, blocked for anti-Nazi cartoons over the uh, recent years. So, wow. I mean, look, Anti-Nazi it's, a, it's a
1: cartoons.
3: anti-Nazi cartoons. I, I think, again, I think it's an algorithm. I think they see us, it sees a swastika and then, uh, oh. it, you know, it blocks. I mean, it's really stupid. Um, yeah. And so, so there's, you know, I mean, it's been, Elon Musk is right. Uh, Twitter's been broken for a while. Um, and I'm sorry, it's insane that a former president of the United States is blocked from Twitter. Um, yeah, the, the, the general tendency should be toward uh, allowing everybody on and like punishments should be temporary whenever possible, except in the absolutely most egregious examples, uh, cases. But generally, on the, a the, um, social media platform, uh, there should be a strong bias toward openness and lack of control and, uh, you know, and, and try not to feed everything based on like, you know, how are you going to sell me ads? just put it in reverse chronological order and let me figure out what I want to see. Um, but, Elon, uh, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not freaked out. Uh, I also think that if you are freaked out from that sort of neoliberal point of view, like, oh my God, uh, you know, the Trumpies are going to run wild. Uh, Musk is going to change everything. You know, billionaires in their playthings. Twitter's not uh, the most important uh, uh thing in a company in elon musk's portfolio and he's going to pay attention to this for three to six to maybe 12 months uh and then he's going to his eye will wander off to either spacex or something else something new with tesla or some other company that he we haven't heard of yet and he'll forget all about it and it will just sort of run itself (laughs) until he decides to sell it or something well, I don't know
1: that he said that he wants to be the CEO of it. I think he just wanted to retain – I mean my impression, although he hasn't spoken clearly about this, is that he will hire people and install people who share his vision for what it's going to do and maybe be the chairman or just the owner or something. And uh, I, I mean I agree with what you're saying. From where I stand, it's and, – and Musk has essentially said this. Unless you do something illegal or tortious, the speech should stand. We've somehow developed this idea – that hate speech is illegal. And by the way, hate speech is anything that I hate. So, you know, when the Nazis get in charge, anything a Jewish person says would be hate speech. When, you know, anybody who doesn't like what you say hates you, what you're saying is hate speech.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I don't think Musk is going to want to uh, to be the CEO either. I think it's going to be kind of analogous to Jeff Bezos. And it, it'll be probably... More of a hands-off situation. Uh, you know, I, I used to work for the Village Voice when Rupert Murdoch bought it. He didn't buy it oh. personally; News Corp bought it.
1: Ooh, and I, didn't know that. I remember
3: talking one time to the editor-in-chief. The Village Voice was a, a very profitable paper uh, mm-hmm. at that time, it, and I think News Corp paid. It's hilarious. They're out of. They paid two billion dollars for it, as I recall. Wow! Um,
1: Holy cow!
3: Who alt weeklies used to be worth a lot of money. And I remember talking to the editor, and it's like, "Hey, have you ever have you heard from Australia?" And they, he said, "No, no, not once." And he said, he, "He said one time he got nervous, and he called them just to say, hey, you know, is everything cool?'" And they're like, "Oh, you know, the way we look, at, the way Murdoch looks, uh, Rupert looks at It is, uh, you guys just keep doing what you're doing, make money, and everything's fine." <laughs> and I, I, I think in the in the long run, and I don't, that's which is not very long. That's going to be Musk's um, view, although he says he doesn't care about the economics, uh, and I, don't, I think that's true now. But that, that may change over time.
1: I think also what he meant, and this is my perception, is that he's not – it's not like he looked at this and analyzed it and said, you know what? This is ripe to make money. I'm going to buy it because I want to make money from it. I think he bought it for all the other reasons that you're talking about. I I, I don't see how any sensible person could say, well, I don't care about $44 billion. I think he just means this is not being done as a straight stock play based on my financial analysis of the situation of the company. It's that he intends to take it and turn it into what it could be. But I have a question. There's a lot of people publishing, you know, here's historic criticism of Elon Musk. And there's some guy who was like a financial writer, who was uh, writing critical things about Tesla and apparently Elon Musk called him up and said he's going to sue him. And the guy got so nervous that he uh, deleted his Twitter account and stopped writing about him. And, and this is being used to say, oh, well, Elon Musk doesn't support freedom of speech because he did that. What's your impression of Elon Musk, not as the owner of Twitter, calling up somebody who says something he doesn't like on Twitter and just being angry and telling him, I don't like what you're saying. And I'm going to sue you because I think it's def- defamatory or whatever.
3: Well, uh, I, you know, having done that myself, I can't look down on it. Um, you know, I, I it's, uh, I've, I've had, some, I've, uh, threatened, uh, people who I felt had defamed me with litigation and I have yeah. sued the uh, Los Angeles times and an individual for defamation um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of defamation law. I just, uh, I just wrote a piece this week called in, 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 def, in defense of defamation lawsuits. Uh, I think, uh, whether you're, you know, I think, I think Elon Musk has the right to not have some creepy kid track his, uh, airplane or right. his private air jet, wherever it flies. I think it's disgusting and gross what that kid did. I'm sorry. It's gross. And, um, you know, and I think even though he's a rich dude, he deserves not to be stalked. And I think even though he's a rich dude, he has the right not to be defamed. And if the guy didn't defame him, he has nothing to fear. Uh, you know, let Elon Musk sue him and he'll go to court and file a motion for summary judgment. Right. And maybe after $2,000, 3000 at most, the judge Ooh. will throw it out and Ooh, he'll have a story to that. tell.
1: I don't and know that's about it. that. I don't know about that. That's usually project. how that goes. Well, I, I mean, as someone who is That's involved in some goes. of these lawsuits, they can go on for you. I mean, it's it's a it's one of these complicated things where we need to know more details about the statements, more details about what Musk said, more details about a potential suit. But I agree with you in general, is that people seem to have conflated the notion of the First Amendment being respected on Twitter with the idea that you can say absolutely anything you want. And I think Musk has reiterated today that you must comport with the law. You can't do anything tortious or illegal. But if you want to say something negative about Bill Gates, about Jack Dorsey, about your personal opinion about transgenderism or the Azov Battalion or the Hunter Biden laptop or the results of the election, it is your right in the United States of America to make those statements. That's what he's talking
0: about.
3: And And I think he's right. And I agree with him about that.
0: And even the way he characterized it, you're saying saying something he, he say saying bad stuff about him. I have a feeling that Elon Musk would not threaten defamation if you went up on Twitter right now and said, I think Elon Musk is a big poopy pants. Right. I don't think he's going to sue you for defamation on that.
1: Well, you're right. And says- these were these were specific allegations about actions that, from what I read in the article, would have alleged fraud on the part of either Musk personally or Tesla. And you know, he's not stupid. Whatever we think about him, he's not stupid. They say he's litigious, but I got to imagine when you're the richest guy in the world, there's a lot of people coming at you with uh, lawsuits and and things worthy of lawsuits all the time. When you're accusing him of doing a crime, that if it's untrue and Musk knows it's untrue, that is defamatory.
3: You you know, in that situation, when he's when he's running a large corporation, uh, several of them, um, you know, he has a fiduciary responsibility to defend his his and his company's reputation against false charges.
0: Yes, and and this takes us to another story that's been in the headlines lately. Tulsi Gabbard was accused by Mitt Romney, and Keith Oberman of treason. She was called treasonous. Ridiculous. And called a Russian asset. And Tulsi Gabbard sends them a cease and desist letter and said she would sue them for defamation. And she said she's a veteran, she's a congresswoman, and to be accused of treason, that's a serious charge. Yes. When it's not being thrown around. And Tulsi Gabbard went after them. Ted, did you hear about that case? And what do you think of that? I did hear about that case.
3: I think there's what's moral and then there's what's legal. Morally, she's in the right. It's a disgusting and scandalous uh, thing. Uh, you know, if you can't prove that someone sold out their country, uh, you should be, they should be uh, exposed legally to a, a libel suit or a slander suit if it was uh, if it was done uh, you know in, in verbally. but I, I think with the state of defamation law in near tatters and under attack by anti-slap statutes all over the country, uh, I think it would be a very heavy lift to prevail because I think most uh, judges would say uh, in an anti-slap motion, that, uh, you know, whether someone's a traitor or not, it's just a hyperbole, yeah. it's, pr- it's opinion, opinion,
1: it's political
3: right. speech, it's right. it's overheated, right. and it's maybe scurrilous, but it's within the bounds of uh, of uh, constitutionally accepted, spe- uh, protected speech.
1: Unless the plaintiff is Donald Trump, in which case you lose. <laughs> no,
0: no, Trump, but, let, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this generally uh, about the freedom of speech issue. When I was growing up, the left were, was a savior of free speech, and it was the Republicans we we're worried about. Now, Republicans have become associated. Free speech as denigrated as a right-wing concern. And you say right through his voice, I believe Nat Hencoff, who's a writer over there, uh, uh, he wrote a book called Freedom of Speech for Me but Not for Thee which is a, a a left defense of free speech what the hell happened to the left why did free speech become something bad among so many people and it especially irks me and I, I'm not accusing you of anything Ted you, you took a position I thought you would take but because so many leftists are artists or vice versa because so many artists are leftists. Art and free speech should go hand in hand. And I'm so disappointed by what I've seen from the left, even down to Neil Young and Crosby, Stills, and Young and Joni Mitchell demanding their music be taken off Spotify is nuts. I, and I'm very disappointed by it. But Ted, what happened to the left? You think? Um,
3: yeah, well, uh, Nat Hentoff was right, and that used to be the way it was. I still, I think it still is. I, look, I don't think Republicans or conservative, the right if, are particularly interested in protecting like socialist or communist speech. They should be, but they're they don't seem to be. But uh, the censorship, the aggressive censorship. Really picked up, uh, you know, sort of after "quote unquote" political correctness, now called wokeism, uh, picked up in a in a big way in the late '80s, early '90s, and it's just accelerated ever since. And uh, you know, I think since the, P- the Democratic Party has become more a party around um, sort of uh, it, identity politics and less about class consciousness, uh, it has abandoned its. Uh, it's, it's true left roots, um, and it's just become completely about verbiage and uh, vocabulary and all that. So, you know, when, you, when that's your currency, when you're not proposing legislation, basically what you're really—the way that Democrats argue that they're changing the world is by changing the way we think and the way we talk. When that's your currency, then, you know, that's, then that's what you push hard. And you have to make sure that you stifle uh, an alternative currency and alternative rhetoric. And that's what they're up to. I I personally think it's disgusting and and counterproductive. And obviously, I've never been behind these sort of things. I mean, there was a campaign to uh, boycott Rush Limbaugh's advertisers back in the day. I was against that. There was another campaign to uh, get Dan Coulter fired from her syndicate same syndicate that I work for and I, I opposed that stridently and um, Ted, but Ted we're, out, we're
0: out of time unfortunately great appearance thanks so much Ted Rall, for another great appearance and thanks to our guest host for today Jason Goodman and Charles Ortel for a great first hour interview we'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory